So welcome to the Do More Good podcast, season three. All good things come in threes, don't they, Kenny? Of course they do. Three musketeers, little pigs, triangles, your degree. <laughs> we should probably know what we're doing by now, right? You'd think so. There are times you have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work because it pays off in the end. Making sure that the senior people from that organisation get involved with the partnership. It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock-up. Do I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes. <laughs> I think the, the message is... Do more good. Yay! Here we are, James, episode number 27 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Kenneth, I'm gutted. Oh, no. I'm crushed, mate. I'm in a bad way. We lost a a Twitter follower this week. You're what? Yeah, I know. Our number has dropped by one. Oh, Big yeah. news. <laughs> Big news. Big news. Surely yeah. we can get one back. I, I, well, I'm, I'm relying on our listeners spreading the word of Do More Good <laughs> to boost those numbers back up. And if anyone sees a lost Twitter follower <laughs> floating around in social media bereft of their Do More Good fix every other week, then point them back in our direction. We welcome them back with open arms. It's been a good, it's been a good week on the Do More Good scene, though, hasn't it? We had a, we had a great episode last week and yeah. uh, good positive feedback and few Star Trek references from Carlos. Yeah, it's a new direction for us. Yeah. I had to brush up on my uh, Star Wars um, trivia. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But how things been? Uh, oh, other than other than other, other than, than losing the, the Twitter follower. Yeah. Losing. I'm very well. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. went to Paris. You had a lovely Paris, time. Yeah. Came back um, and settling back into normal life again. Normal yeah, all good. Life. How about you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, just on uh, Easter holidays, so had a couple of days without any children, which has been good. So we dropped them off at my uh, in-laws at the weekend, and we've had four days uh, with just my wife and I, which has been great. We went to the theatre, we went out for dinner, oh. we've been doing all these things. We're living the dream, I the know, culture vulture. Remembering what it was like to not <laughs> have children. Kind of don't want them to come back. Yeah. Uh, but no, and, uh, yeah, it's been good. Busy, obviously, working on the way up to uh, Virgin Money London Marathon in a couple of weeks, and um, got a nice message from my wife today. She said, oh, I've just been listening to your latest podcast. I was like, oh, really? How, how did you find it? She's like, oh, I was sitting in the office. I was, I was giggling away to myself. I was like, oh, that's really nice. She and she fun- was laughing with us And she was finding us. us really funny. And yeah. I was like, oh, what bits were you funny? What bits did you find funny? She was like, oh, that James is a really funny guy, isn't he? I was like, oh, right. <laughs> she mentioned Desafari. Thank you. Yeah, something like that. So no, yeah, it's been it's been all good. But looking forward to another episode. Yes, we have um, we have our guest with us, who started her career in the events team at Dementia UK. Excellent decision. And um, before inexplicably pushing for a move to comms, in a role which previously hadn't existed within the organisation, and this um, unfortunately it turned out was a perfect fit, and she proceeded to craft a successful career. With experience at Aspire, Trinity College London, Cherish PR, Just Giving and Cancer Research UK. So for the past few years, she has worked as a trainer, consultant and freelance writer, supporting a number of charities and enabling fundraisers to embrace digital marketing. Not only does she work with a variety of fantastic organisations, upskilling their teams, she also continues to give back through volunteering and sharing her thoughts as a writer for Third Sector. As you are obviously aware, we love an award winner on the show, and thanks to her passion and ability to craft an engaging story, she has picked up a number of accolades for her work. And she's not polishing the awards. You can find her on the What Kirsty Did Next blog, 
Our guest this week is someone constantly striving to do more good. It's Kirsty Marins. Hello, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no worries, thank you very can I, much can for I coming. Can I just say though, James, it's not about the numbers, <laughs> really. They're just a vanity metric. Focus more on engagement. We and are going to fall about. out over this one. It's yeah. all about the numbers. <laughs> and Prob- Kenneth, I like no pressure now to be funnier than Carlos. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and Carlos and James. I struggle with that every week, to be honest. Uh, but we'll get there. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm learning from the best. <laughs> and also, I only have two awards, so there's not that much polishing going on. Oh. Unless you count my awards from when I was a figure skater when I was a kid. Well, we didn't, this did not come up in our research. No, no we, didn't, we couldn't find any online references That's to that. Would yeah, that, well, you know, that was pre-probably internet era. So pre-internet era, why. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that would be difficult. So, Kirsty, thank you very much for joining us. As we've just described, you've got such a rich and illustrious CV with all those great organisations that, um, that you've worked with. But really, I'd like to, do, I guess the first question is kind of what led you to making that jump into the, into the not-for-profit, into the charity sector? Looking back, I think you, you started off in some kind of financial analyst role. But yeah, what's your journey been like today and what, what got you into it in the first place? So I moved over to the UK in 2004 Mm -hmm. and to be honest I just landed a role in the finance sector because I had a friend who worked at a company and kind of got me a job there. So there was no planning on my part to work in finance but it worked out really well because that's how I met my husband so I can't complain. But I think like three years into it I realized it wasn't really for me. If I'm honest I'm not really sure what kind of drew me to the charity sector especially because I didn't grow up in this country you know I wasn't really you know the household charity names here were not household charity names to me apart from comic relief because in South Africa we also have Red Nose Day and of course there are a few charities that do work in South Africa as well but I just decided I had a housemate at the time who worked in events and I thought it was a really glamorous career and no, she didn't work in the charity sector, <laughs> so that's probably why. I'd say events is the most <laughs> glamorous of the disciplines, <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah. Well, I think I then kind of thought I want to work in events in the charity sector. Maybe, I don't know, as an antidote to the finance sector, which mm. is all about making people richer. Yeah. And I guess I wanted to raise money, but for good causes. So I did a, a PR and events diploma because I knew I didn't really have the skills. I did some volunteering. I was on the anti-slavery committee ball to get some experience in the sector over here. And after numerous interviews with countless charities who didn't want to hire me, (laughs) Dementia UK finally took a chance on me. And I'm forever grateful for that chance because that was 12 years ago now and I've never looked back. So what, what, why do you think it was then? I mean, you, having those interviews, because a few people have said that, and, and that was, wasn't necessarily my experience, but I had to certainly try quite hard to get into the sector. It wasn't easy, put it that way. But why, why do you think it took you several interviews to get there in the end? So I actually have a blog post on what Kirsty did next called okay. Take a Chance on Me because I get asked this question a lot, right. particularly people wanting to move into the sector. <coughs> and I think the answer is, you know, Charities are quite risk averse. You know, they, they'll always take, in my opinion, you know, the person who already has a career in the sector over mm. someone who doesn't. Because, I don't know, they're a safer bet, I guess. You know, to take a chance on someone who's never worked in the sector, 
can be risky mm. and you know here when you hire someone if it doesn't work out it's not that easy to just get rid of them yeah. you know not like in the US where I think you can get rid of anybody at any time in like a week's notice or something crazy yeah. like that so I think I just think charities prefer to hire someone who already works in the sector but I think they're missing a trick mm. because there's so much that people can bring to the sector mm. and also they really passionate I mean they I took a massive pay cut to come into the sector does that not tell you that I'm really passionate yeah. about wanting to work in the sector so why wouldn't you give me that chance yeah so yeah I was really lucky Barbara Stevens who was CEO at the time recognized that I guess and mm -hmm. gave me the opportunity and you know we're still in contact today brilliant yeah I mean this, this came up Last week, it comes up regularly on the podcast, the person that gave you the shot, that gave you the, the big job or the, or the opportunity to move careers, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, and talking of taking risks, uh, you landed the dream job in events and then <laughs> threw it all away <laughs> to move to <laughs> comms, uh, which is an uh, unbelievable decision. But um, <laughs> when did you realize that that was going to be, you know, that was the direction you wanted to go in and that was going to be your specialism? Okay, so... When I joined Dementia UK, they weren't called Dementia UK. They were actually called For Dementia. Okay. And they were really small. I think there was about 15 maybe full-time staff. Um, and I was the only person working in fundraising and events. So there wasn't an events team. <laughs> uh, and to be honest, most of my job was actually quite admin-based. You know, I was a person manually entering donations and Teresa's Edge, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of doing lots of golf days and carol concerts, that kind of community fundraising, those sorts of events. And it just wasn't really me. And then we had um, John Suchet, who became a patron. His wife at the time had dementia. And we were suddenly getting lots of exposure, lots of press. We were in the spotlight. And our brand was really old-fashioned and, you know, just wasn't really resonating with people so we were in the process of doing a rebrand and I realized hang on a minute we don't have anybody doing comms you know and who's going to manage all of this so I put the case forward to my CEO that I would like to do that and again she very <laughs> kindly said okay and mm -hmm. that's kind of how it happened really. And talking about that if someone else is thinking about a shift or a move into something that a, the charity doesn't already have I'm thinking about gaming potentially as a, as a new revenue stream that's growing. How did you make that case to your superiors? Did you, did you go in with reams of paper or was it just a passionate chat in the kitchen? Or how did you approach that? Well, you're really testing my memory now because it was a long time <laughs> ago. I, do, I honestly <coughs> don't remember. I mean, to be honest, there was quite a lot of comms in my role anyway. You know, I remember when, I, when we did the carol concerts, I had to write the program. You know, I had to put it on the web. I was managing the website because there just wasn't anybody else to do it. So mm. I was already doing comms in my role. And I think what we realized was we needed somebody dedicated to that. And, we, and that was also the time when Twitter and Facebook was kind of getting bigger, shall we say. I mean, I joined Dementia UK in 2007 wow. and Twitter launched in 2006. 
So, you know, there were all of these channels that we kind of had to be on as well and there was nobody to manage that. Did you so lose any followers? Because I hear that's quite, that's quite <laughs> devastating <laughs> when that happens. I'm sure we did along the way, but, you know. Let's gain them Ouch. first when it first <laughs> came out, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all were starting from zero. How do you, how do you educate? So I guess you'd, you'd, you'd shown your experience in terms of you said right in the kind of Carol concert. You were, you were obviously well-versed in kind of writing. I mean, if, if, if I was in a small charity and they were looking around to say, who's going to take this comms role? It certainly wouldn't be me with my tutu. But then you kind of went on from Dementia UK and you went to Just Giving eventually. You ended up there in, in 2014. I, I can imagine that must have been quite an interesting time, an innovative organisation at, at that point. What can you kind of remember about the sac- sector back then and, and, and working at, at that organisation? Well... Just Giving actually approached me to apply for the role. So it was a content and community manager role. Right. And I just remember thinking all my Christmases had come at once because it was exactly the kind of organization I would just wanted to work for. So innovative, so forward thinking, not a charity, Start but, you know, in, yeah, yeah, in the tech, sector. Yeah. Um, and actually, 2014 was an extraordinary year for raising money online and through social media. So right. that was the year we had no makeup selfie. Right. In March, which raised eight million in six days for Cancer Research UK. Then in the summer, we had the Ice Bucket Challenge, which eventually, I mean, a global phenomenon, mm. raised, I think, 115 million for ALS mm. and seven million for the MND Association here in the UK. Mm. And then in, I think it was September that year, we had um, tragically the fire at the Manchester Dogs home. Right. And the Manchester Evening News set up a crowdfunder on Just Giving, which was really new then. It, you know, we'd only launched that quite recently, I think, the, the kind of crowd fu- individual crowdfunding pages. And in 24 hours, they'd raised a million. Mm. So it was a really exciting time to work there. I mean, there was a lot of energy and also like a feeling of pride, really, that Mm. we were able to provide a platform where people could do these amazing things. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so true. And I think it's probably something that's kind of continued and ingrained in that culture. Uh, At least kind of you see that in in what Just Giving and and others do do now. It shows... That was a crucial time for, for just giving, but also your timing was impeccable in moving to that organisation. <laughs> it was just all at planned. The moment when they, you know, they were going through the roof. That's, that must have been that must have been like really exciting. Like my career, it was all planned. <laughs> um, and then you took that leap into consultancy, and you kind of went it alone, and you felt like you'd got experience from all those great charities that you worked for. And as we said earlier, there was Cancer Research UK and and others on there. Um, what was it that kind of led you to make that transition to to, to say right? I think I've got enough experience from all of these organisations from different roles. Now I'm going to try and go myself and, and, and see who I can help from that point of view. Well, you probably weren't expecting this, but okay. I was made redundant from Just Giving, which is why I went freelance. Right, okay. So that was, I mean, as you know now, Just Giving was bought by Blackboard. Mm. But when I was just give, at Just Giving, they were looking for an investor mm. and they did make redundancies and mm. my role happened to be one of them. So it wasn't a choice to leave. But actually, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Because blessing in disguise. It was a blessing in disguise, yeah, absolutely. And actually, the Cancer Research UK role came after that. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so that was a maternity cover, only three days a week for about six months. Mm-hmm. But I, I almost feel like, potentially, I wouldn't have got that role if I didn't have just giving his name on my CV. Uh, okay. So, I might be wrong, but... Yeah. 
you know, that's it's kind a funny of thing about redundancies. I was made redundant, and that yeah. was when I moved to the sector. That it said it's an opportunity to go for. You get a little bit of a payoff, and yeah. y- you haven't done anything wrong. You're not weighed down by messing up, maybe. So then you make the, your move. You, that's when you decide. Right now, I'm gonna now I'm gonna go after what I really want to do. It's a funny thing, but I've never heard anyone, and I may well be wrong, talk about a redundancy in a negative fashion. Obviously, it's a horrible thing to go through at the time, but looking back on it, yeah. for me, it was it was perfect. It was yeah. yeah. I made the great move at that point as well. You know, terrible for the sector. <laughs> <laughs> no one would agree <laughs> with me. Anyone that's had to work with me. Yeah, yeah, I just think you know you've got to. You know, at the time it was. I kind of expected it. I mean, there were redundancies happening, so it wasn't like a shock. But, you know, still it's, you know, a blow to your confidence at the time because you think, was I maybe not that good enough because wouldn't they have kept me on kind of thing. But you've got to realize sometimes it's just business decisions. It's, you know, it's not anything personal. And I just took it as, right, it's time to think of what the next step is but I guess luckily because I am you know fairly well known in the sector the minute I said I was freelance I kind of had people you know come up to me or Mm. I had recommendations and and literally it's now it'll be four years in September and I've pretty much been constant with work so I can't I can't complain. No so what's that sorry go on. No I was just going to say it's given me the opportunity to work with a variety of organizations, yeah. you know, charities, huge charities, Teenage Cancer Trust, Breast Cancer Care, Dogs Trust, you know, like just dream charities, Care International, as well as people in the sector that are mm. trying to do good as well. So mm. Lightful, for example, is one of my clients. Mm. Um, there are some others that are, you know, I'm potentially working with third sector. Mm. And I guess being freelance, you know, writing for third sector means that I can be objective and mm. I, you know, I can have an opinion and I, I'm not bound by an organization, which is really good. Well, that's an interesting point. So you you've, you write for third sector at the moment. You've written for the IOF and charity comms and um, you had a gig with The Guardian as well. Yeah, Guardian that, Voluntary. Yes. Um, Back in the day. How <laughs> do you find that being a voice for the sector? Well, I wouldn't say I'm a voice for the sector. I'd say I'm a voice in the sector because I think how I find it is I'm the kind of person that likes to learn and develop and I'm always looking at what other people are doing and what I can learn from them. And, you know, the charity sector is made up of very large charities and 97% of the sector is very small charities and they don't have the resources and the people and the skills. And I feel like by writing about really practical things that can help them or sharing inspirational kind of case studies is hopefully just helping people to maybe upskill or to motivate them to try something different Or, you know, just do one little thing differently that might make a big difference. So I kind of find, like, that's the role I really like, is Mm. being a voice in the sector. (laughs) 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 And and kind of sharing stories of people in the sector and what they're doing. I think it makes sense, because I think that's part of what we we talked about when we were kind of talking about what the Do More Good podcast should be. And it was about, you know, there's so many brilliant individuals and organisations in the sector doing brilliant things every day. 
and it was just kind of giving it a platform to say, or oh, maybe someone might listen to this, someone somewhere that you know it might hear something that could help change their career, take it to the next level, you know, maybe get that next job, maybe maybe whatever it could be. But just want to go back a second, Kirsty, just going back to your consultancy. So coming out of just giving, being made redundant, doing a job at just giving, which I guess was a bit of a luxury for them. And unfortunately, it does tend to be the jobs that go first when you're looking at custom cutting costs out of yeah. business are the luxury jobs, the comms community manager, for example, which mm-hmm. was obviously in this case. But Especially because I was actually charity focused. I wasn't consumer focused. Right. I yeah, will the be the first to go. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we, we know that. They're basically going to fake <laughs> some kind of financial <laughs> crisis to get me out. <laughs> when the Do More Good co- podcast starts making redundancies, you're definitely <laughs> the first to go. Um, anyway, that was just following my wife's comment this morning. So, yeah. Um, so, Kirsty, just going back, so kind of coming out of just giving and going into the sector and trying to pick up freelance work, can, y- can you describe that a little bit? Like, how did, th- how did jobs come to you? How did you? How did you start kind of building that pipeline? Because I'm sure there's people um, listening that have maybe thought, considered consultancy, but it always seems a scary thought because it's a black hole of you might get a job for the first month or two months, whatever it may be, but then where do you go afterwards? Like, how did you handle that? In one way, I'm, I'm the worst person to answer this question okay. because I have the luxury of having a husband who has a good job. Okay. So I don't so have, have financial. the financial pressures mm. that other people might find themselves in. Mm. So I can, A, be more choosy about who I want to work with. I right. don't have to say yes to everything. Secondly, if I don't have work for a little while, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thirdly, I do have a name in the sector, so mm-hmm. that holds weight. It mm-hmm. means I know a lot of people, which mm-hmm. helps because honestly, probably, I actually want to say like 100% of my work just comes from word of, mouth, word of mouth or people knowing my name because I write for third sector or maybe I speak at a conference you know, they kind of know me. So So I guess it goes back to Carlos's point last week then about networking is yeah, key, right? 20 absolutely. lunches a week, people. 20, 20 lunches, lunches a week. A week. Who, who's but paying for these lunches? Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe your husband is. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. But, well, um, I, I, yeah, but that no. networking, that, that's something that I'm constantly on about. It's networking and... There was a, somebody had just given once made a joke about me. James always stays for drinks. Now it's not a, you know that is entirely selfless. If there are free drinks available, I will gladly drink them, yeah. but only because it's good for my career, not because I'm just taking <laughs> people's free drinks. You meet people and you get to know them, and then they realise they never want to work with you in the future. <laughs> and, you know, it's a person to avoid. But in your case, that's worked out really well. Yeah. In that people know who you are, and therefore will you know suggest you for things or put you forward for whatever or take you on themselves. Absolutely, it's it's it is all about the networking mm-hmm. but without it sounding wanky can i say wanky you, you can, can say, say wanky. okay without it you sounding wanky <laughs> 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 okay and so kind of a, as well as winning awards yourself you've also been asked to kind of judge some admissions um how's that experience kind of sitting there critiquing yeah. another charities submission you to pick your top podcast <laughs> who would you yeah <laughs> who would you go for? yeah judging people's submissions in terms of you know these these great awards that there are out there and i know i know there's quite a lot of awards and but it's it is always great it's an always uh, at least in my experience kind of being acknowledged from some awarding body that you've done some god the good. number of award ceremonies i've uh, had to go through when i managed to blag my way in through basically through the back door and i get a you know seat near the toilets <laughs> and then i watch as <laughs> kenneth picks up another award <laughs> it's, oh, been it's, a, it's been a while it's, it's been a while it's 
been a yeah. while. So my, my yeah, my plea to all award judges out there is to stop picking Kenneth. It's <laughs> really frustrating. <laughs> but yeah, so Noted. what's what what's that like? What's that like? What's been the uh, some of the highlights and and how do you find that experience? Just for context, I've only judged the third sector awards twice, okay. and then the uh, social CEOs awards mm-hmm. once. So I've only it's been a bit judge like saying I've only times. ever judged the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> Well, you know, just to give some context. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I think, I'm not going to lie, there are a lot of submissions yep. and you literally have to hook me in in the first kind of three sentences mm. or I've already lost interest, mm. which sounds terrible, but it's true. You know, yeah. when you're faced with like 80 submissions, and this is all volunteer, like you volunteer your time to do this, don't yeah, get paid yeah, yeah. to be a judge. Yeah. And and I'm a freelancer, so, you know, w- without being crude, <laughs> time is money. Money, yeah. You know, if you really want to get my attention, you have to give me... It's a bit like social media. You know, you've got to hook someone in. You've only got so many words. You've got mm. to hook them in straight away, or they're just going to scroll past you on the n- news feed. Then just not going to be interested. Mm. So my top tip is really, you know, wow me in the first three sentences so mm. that I really do want to read the rest of your submission. Mm. Caveat, I do read the whole submission, don't <laughs> worry, if you have not got me in those three. But, you know, I, 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 I'm not engaged as yeah, much yeah, yeah. as if someone has, you know, really hooked me in. Yeah. But to be honest, so in 2017, we shortlisted and it was the first year that we invited for two categories to come in and pitch. And the one was for comms team of the year. Now... In their submission, this charity had really stood out because they didn't just talk about what they'd done. They had evidence of what they'd achieved. They had stats. They had, you know, they'd really thought about how they were going to measure their success. Mm -hmm. And like I say, they had the stats to prove it. And that's really important, I think, because, you know, we can all talk the talk. (laughs) But let's just say, so they came in to present and they were as good as their submission they were mm. excellent in their presentation you could tell they had rehearsed it they they were just really really good and what was interesting was i'd never heard of this charity and and not that i believe you know people say there are sexy causes i'm not one of those people yeah. i don't think any charity is a sexy cause but think of the unsexiest charity you could probably ever think of <laughs> and it was this one <laughs> thinking of them right oh now <laughs> Okay, so if I say electrical safety first, oh, you're yeah. like, top of, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, top of your list. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. does it does okay. it turn you on? <laughs> Do more love, ladies and gentlemen, episode number two. But honestly, I, they were just amazing. They blew me away. And they were up against big charities, yeah, yeah, yeah. really well known, that you thought were going to smash it and, you know. And no, they were just the outright winner. They were amazing. I'm just trying to think back of kind of my experiences of when you, you know, some of those bigger tra- charities almost assume that because they're a big charity, they're going to they're gonna get through and, and, and they're going to be a finalist or nominated. But I'm sure that the fact that they maybe use a bit of boilerplate and, you know, comes through when they put their submissions through. Yeah. I should say, when you are a judge... You don't know who the winners are because you mark them individually. So on the night, I had no idea they were going to win. Oh, really? But I was not surprised because they were absolutely amazing. And I guess my my tip really is, you know, for any charity. So on this panel, there was another fairly small charity who, again, great, 
great submission, great presentation. But when it came to the questions, when I tried to dig a little bit deeper, they didn't know the answers. They mm. didn't have the stats. They didn't have the figures. They hadn't thought of the questions that might get asked. So top tip is look at who the judges are. They are live. You can mm. see who they are. Like, mm. what do they do? What kind of things would they want to know? Yep. Because that's what you need to put in your submissions. And that's what you need to come armed with is the answers to the questions they might ask. Charity awards or just awards, uh, award ceremonies in general, uh, a difficult one in, in some ways because it's about, you know, as a as a donor, do you want your charity spending time submitting a, a, a nomination, spending loads of time trying to win an award? It's about what is the impact of winning that award. But it, but there is because you know those awards could lead to corporate partnerships. I know. I, and I, actually, I, just I, from a staff morale point of view, you know, everybody in the sector is a professional. That is something they can put on their CV that gives them you know, pride in what they do as a professional. And I think, yeah, and you I know, and even just from agree. that, it's... We've always gone down the, the cost-saving measure of never winning an award. <laughs> <laughs> Applying, <laughs> but, but never winning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, no, and I, and, I, and I agree with that. And I guess that was kind of going to nicely, hopefully, segue on to kind of, you know, your experience a little bit more about comms, but about in, in, in a sector where we're so... Our numbers are looked at, our impact is looked at, what, what is a contribution, you know, what are we actually doing with our donors' money? It's interesting to think from a comms perspective, because it, it is a comms and PR task submi- submitting a an award nomination and, and, and winning that. And it can have a brilliant impact on your organisation. I mean, I know in, in my experience, you say the winning one of those awards, James, that we were talking about earlier, you know, the team morale Brought side of with things. You. Well, you don't, don't pretend you don't win. <laughs> <laughs> you always line them up on the <laughs> table in front of me. back constantly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it did give that team a boost. It did give us something to talk about. It gave us a hook in terms of that next PR story. It gave us a hook when we were next talking to supporters. So there's, there's certainly benefit there. But then those other t- 20, 30 charities that maybe also submit, probably 100, 150, well, you know, also <laughs> submitted a, made a submission, you know, they'd spend a lot of time doing that. So, yeah, going into comms, I guess that's kind of where I'm trying to segue in. And, you know, what actually, that's a question. What does a typical gig look like for you in terms of a, a comms role from a charity? It's Is there a typical gig? Or? No, I'm, I'm quite a generalist in some ways. So okay. uh, just to give you, like, an example of what I do, so last year, from September to December, I did an interim social media manager role at the British Red Cross. Right. Uh, earlier this year, I did a um, also a social media consultancy role at a social enterprise. Then I have my writing gigs. Mm-hmm. I do training, so I do training for Media Trust. Tomorrow, I'm starting a project with the charity doing um, a whole series of their email campaigns. So like a supporter journey, I'm writing all the emails for them. Yep. I do, yeah, copywriting for websites. I, I do a lot of different things. So there isn't really, you know, I don't say you I do You don't specialize one in thing. one thing no. like social, and then social media, media yeah, yeah, so social media, I have a client where I manage their Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And then in some roles, I might do social media, you know, content plans or strategy um, or guidelines, so it's quite varied. And what are those? What are those key things that you take from job to job when you're communicating a charity's impact? And I guess you've got you've got some different objectives. What, some might be just around engaging with existing donors, or some might be around, oh, we really need to grow our social media following. What are some of those tidbits? Those key things that you take into those different roles i mean to be honest if we're only talking about social media like their objectives really need to go back to their organizational objectives Mm -hmm. you know what is their organization trying to achieve and how can social media help them achieve that that's all it is it's just 
it's a channel. It's a, you know, it's, it's no different to any other part of the organization. I think people think sometimes that, I don't know, social media is this kind of magic bullet that's just going to raise loads of money or do loads of things. And it's not that. It's more of an engagement piece. I mean, it can raise money. Of course it can. You know, especially now with fun, uh, Facebook's Donate, mm. you know, and, and their fundraising pages. It's not like it can't raise money. Of course it can. But it's, you know, it's more about building a community and engagement and driving people to your website. And, you know, just really what are you trying to achieve mm. organizationally and how can social media help you achieve that? That's mm. kind of all but it it's is. But it's got to be measurable, though, as well. Because, I mean, yeah, I, I remember... Yeah, well, There you go, your smart goals. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> we hear too many of them. Um, but I was, I was reading something recently or maybe listening to something that was talking about the, the cost of having a dedicated social media person, you know. And actually, when you break that down each day and by the amount of output that they do, so say they do five tweets a day or whatever it might be, or you know, and actually the cost per per tweet being like you know fifty quid or something like that. When you kind of add it all up, and actually then the question is, do you get fifty quid's worth of impact back from that individual? And again, I know it's difficult to what metrics you're looking at, but it was an interesting thought for me about thinking about having that social media person dedicated to it. What impact are you getting? Well, and, and I'd say it was very difficult to judge <laughs> what what impact that person has. Because essentially you're contributing towards the brand of an organization and the, f- and the, f- uh, the feel that a supporter maybe has about an organization. And they may be sort of a latent supporter for a long time, but think, but stay engaged with that because they like the social comms or they like what they're seeing. And then eventually come back and um, do something for you. Absolutely. A cake sale Abs- and raises a thousand pounds. But I think, a- I think you, you maybe, let's just... Can I say get real for yeah, a minute? Yeah, no, so absolutely, get real. Only big charities can afford to hire Dedicated a person people. or yeah. a team mm. who only does social media. Most charities, that social media person is also doing PR, maybe the website, marketing, yeah. the email newsletter. They're not just doing social media. Yeah, It's only the big charities that have the budget. So mm. like when I was at British Red Cross, there were two of us. Mm. There was me as the manager and then my officer she did basically the content, but I did all the strategic things. And that takes a lot of working with the whole organization, understanding what are the priorities, what campaigns are we working on, what do we need to make this happen, what content do we need. You know, you can't just put a tweet out. You need um, great imagery. You need video. Like, all of that needs to be thought about. It needs to be filmed, recorded, edited, it's not just, you know, oh, let's put five tweets out and see what happens. No, and then and there's a lot of community management. Like, again, if you're a big charity, you are answering loads of comments, loads mm. of direct messages. You know, and again, depending what the scenario is, you know, when I was at British Red Cross, we had the Indonesia tsunami and the earthquake. So we had to launch an appeal. That takes huge amounts of resource in terms of community management. People are you know, tweeting about that they've donated, you need to thank them, people are asking questions, what's the best way I can help, where's my money going, how are you getting this aid to them, all these kinds of questions that somebody needs to answer. So if it's not a direct kind of financial gain that the organisation can can pin on comms, are there other metrics that you can use to not justify but but to show your impact on the organization? Are there any kind of key things that you would look for an improvement in when you go into an organization? 
I mean, comms is quite hard to, yeah, like you say, you know, put sort of, to monetize it in a sense. It's a bit like PR, you know, how do you, you know, you could have your CEO on BBC Breakfast, but what does that actually mean? Does that mean you suddenly got an influx of donors? Probably not. Mm. But, you know, does it mean more people know about your charity and what you do? Yes. Eventually, maybe down the line, someone will become a donor. Maybe they, you know, will do things for your charity. Maybe they'll need your charity at some point. You know, it's very hard to kind of quantify that. But I think, you know, with social media, there are loads of examples where you can make money from it. In terms of fundraising, that's why we have digital fundraising specialists, you know. Mm. And, and so you can quantify those types of things. You can also, of course, if you're putting out an email and it has a donate ask in it, you can measure that because you can put in, you know, your you can align it to your Google Analytics and create a funnel and all those sorts of things. So there are some ways, of course, that you can measure that. But comms is probably more about branding more about raising awareness more about creating engagement more mm. about yeah well, you like talked about supporter journeys there and it's a, mm-hmm. it's a crucial part of everything that we do is how we make people feel about supporting us do they feel valued do they feel appreciated supported throughout that journey so yeah absolutely and i think to be honest the the magic happens when fundraising and comms talk to each other because I guess fundraisers have the skills to raise money, but they need the people with the skills to get that message out. Mm. They know how to get people to feel emotional or feel moved to make a donation. You need so you need them really to work together. Mm. Yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who's listening who wants to maybe improve their skills as a communicator? And I like what you said earlier, and I think it's something that we, we forget the this charity sector, 180,000 charities in the UK, like, you know, there's a huge long tail of people out there who are volunteers. I mean, I was talking to some NHS charity recently and they had like 1,500 volunteers who work for the charity. You know, it was just like, we just, we just take it for granted in a lot of situations. But for someone who's sitting there maybe, uh, maybe is in a small charity, maybe is responsible for their social media or comms, but what would some of the key things that you would say for them to focus on to upskill themselves in in comms generally i mean there's so many free resources out there honestly Mm. like google garage for one google's whole training suite which is completely free and online will teach you everything you need to know about online marketing really i haven't seen this google garage yeah Google Garage, you know, sorry, that's a South African in me. Uh, that's how we say it. So what does it have on it then? Sorry. No. Just loads of um, videos on, you know, SEO and yeah, just or how do you create a, you know, UTM code, all sorts of things. And it's all completely free. It's my evening sorted, Did Kenneth. You know about this? I didn't know about it. <laughs> it's brilliant. And then, of course, they're blog posts i mean just you know sometimes you just need to see what other charities are doing to get Mm. some inspiration i run the third sector pr and comms network Mm. facebook group Mm. which is a bit of a mouthful but you know there are loads of people in there that are happy to share their expertise people just come and ask a question somebody will answer it Mm. there are lots of shared resources that you can use free templates that are out there charity comms has a fantastic website where you know they've got lots of free guides they've got templates that you can download there are lots of events that you can go to we talked about networking earlier there are loads of free events that you can go to Mm. 
Or if you have a bit of budget, you can invest in becoming a, a, a member of charity comms, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the first thing I did when I moved into the sector was Googled, basically, how do I learn about the sector <laughs> or so, you know, yeah. something like that. Um, ask Google, they know everything. Uh-huh. And charity comms popped up. And really? I asked uh, my manager if I could become a member. And I guess because the role was new and I was new to comms, she agreed and I've been a member ever since even as a freelance I've kept my membership up because they just have fantastic events if you're a member all the seminars are free right and then obviously the conferences you pay for but you you know you get a discount if you're a if you're a member mm. but just there's so many free webinars mm. podcasts like mm. yourself you know mm. there's mm. just there's kind of no excuse really to but not I think it, t- it takes someone to have that kind of like because as you say, there is so much that I think if someone's listening, it sometimes becomes overwhelming of like, oh, wh- where do I where do I kind of start? So what we'll make sure we do is we'll link that in the show notes of all those things you just mentioned, because uh, it sounds like that's some great great starting points for people. And, and um, talking of doing stuff on a, on a bit of a budget, you're a confirmed your haircut. Be- <laughs> There's no need to laugh. There's I'm no need to, to love that. <laughs> You're just trying to be funny. I'm trying to get some credibility. That really hurt. That was it wasn't really for his wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, we'll probably edit that out. We'll, we'll, I'll cut that bit out. That, that, that won't be going through. Um, sorry. So talking about being on a budget, you're a, you're a confirmed BDOT, big deal on Twitter. Uh, social media <laughs> as a whole, as a tool for your, maybe p- personally, as your career, networking, that sort of thing. Any top tips for anyone out there? There's maybe, maybe like you were, just kind of starting out in their career and looking about ways that they can, they can Im- forge a, um, a, an impact on the sector through social media. Are there any kind of top tips there? Get a haircut. Um, so when I was at Dementia UK, that's when I joined in 2007. I think in 2008 is when we set up our organizational account, which I managed. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, Twitter's amazing for organizations, but I don't really understand why anybody would be on here personally. Although we were trying to talk to people, so that didn't really make sense. But in my head, I was like, why would I want to be on Twitter as myself? I just don't get it. And it was only when I started going to events like NFP Tweetup and Charity Comms where people were meeting in real life but then having conversations on Twitter Mm. that I suddenly thought, if I want to be part of these conversations, I have to have my own account. And and actually, it's really cringeworthy. If you look back at Dementia UK's account back in like 2008, maybe 2009, there are tweets as the organization, there were actually me, but talking more to people in the sector. <laughs> back then, it was probably okay because we didn't know what we, we were doing, do to be honest. Yeah. You know, but yeah. now I look back and I go, oh, God, what were you doing? That's like, yeah. you can't do that. And that's when I realized I actually need my own account because I need a place to talk to my peers whenever I want or ask some questions or carry on that conversation that we started at NFP Tweetup. And I guess because I just went to lots of events and I, I'm just a naturally, I don't know, curious person, I guess. And I'm, I'm quite personable. Like, I, you know, I like to talk to people. Mm. I just started knowing a lot of people, I guess. And maybe people started following me. And when I went to events, I would use, I, I, or I still do, would kind of live tweet You're the tired, really good yeah. bits. And, yeah. you know, so people who couldn't be there really appreciated that. And 
Well, I don't know. What just guess doing my a tweet up? I, unless oh. I've just been cut off the list, I don't know. No, don't don't ask, don't ask. I do, okay. <laughs> we're, we're trying to organise one. No, I must admit, Christy, it was like, brilliant. It was really good. As part, really good. So I kind of knew of you from maybe following you on Twitter at some point in the last few years, and then before today, kind of had a you know that kind of voyeuristic scroll through <laughs> your feed to kind of go back to. Okay, who is this person? It's creepy like that. Um, <laughs> They'll do that. He saw uh, all of those but, dimensions. But actually, you know, like, I, not to praise you too much, but I, what, I, what I took away from reading your feed, it was like, it felt like it was really you. I know that, again, that word authentic came, comes out all the time, but it, it felt really positive and happy. And I think we spoke about this before starting the podcast. Like, I... I it's not often that you can read through some ones where it's not. I see some people quite negative about things, but I just thought I really enjoyed it. It was it was well curated. If oh, that, thanks. If, if that, <laughs> and, you know, and I don't think you did that consciously. I think that's probably just your skills and ability to be able to tell the story came through. It, it looked like a professional comms person's. Twitter account. I don't know what I'm, I don't oh know where really? I'm going here. A professional comms person oh no, has a professional comms type Twitter account. Not, not everyone no, would do but, that. But, not but, everyone but, would pull but, that off. But yeah, but because because I think that balance between you as a person, your personality came through as well. And like I said to James when we were talking about today, like the 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 blog, and we were talking about your your regular blog post that you do, ten happy moments each. Ten month. happy things. Ten happy <laughs> things. Sorry, got it wrong. <laughs> um, but just that, ri- you know, y- I kind of got your personality from it, and I thought it was really good. So uh, yeah, that's good. I I mean, to be honest, I, you know, whenever I do like Twitter training or whenever I'm asked about, especially um, like senior leaders and charities, if they want to get on Twitter in a kind of professional but personal kind of account, like what are the top tips? And the top tips is just A, be yourself and show more than your work because we're not all just our work. You know, we have other aspects to our lives. We have other interests if you only talk about your charity, people are just going to switch off because mm. they want to know a bit more about you, the person. Yeah. Like, what do you like? What music do you like? Or do you like the theatre? Or show us a picture of your dog? Or you know what I mean? Like, that's what we do Be in, a bit in more real, real life yeah. situations, right? Yeah. We don't just talk about our charity for an hour. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about other things, and 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 that's just what social media is. It's just kind of moving that conversation online. So how would you? So. So I'm in this scenario. You, you're thinking of tweeting something, but then you then you start questioning yourself, and you're like, "Oh, shall I put that out? Shall I write it like that?" <laughs> in my experience, <laughs> don't send it. <laughs> don't send that. You know, you know, and I think that's something that a lot of people. It's almost that Twitter fit. Like you've written something, you think, "Oh, well, that would be good at the time," and then you go to hover over the tweet button, you're like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't send that." I think it's, so. Professional advice is never tweet anything that you wouldn't want a journalist to put in the newspaper. Okay. But obviously, if you're talking about your personal life, only do what makes you feel comfortable, I guess. Yeah. And the thing is, we no one wants to be judged. You Sometimes you think, oh, this tweet is hilarious and nobody engages with it. You can see James <laughs> nodding. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I think, you know what, as long as you're not, you're not like, you know, you're not saying anything massively controversial yeah. or something derogatory or very cynical i think just go for it i mean in one way you wouldn't really if you were having a conversation with a friend or a peer you know you would just say what you felt you wouldn't really kind of censor what you're gonna say so in one way treat it like that like that okay the thing i love about twitter is that it does sort of break down 
any kind of social hierarchy that you can yeah. follow the CEO of a yeah, massive organisation. Yeah, and Kate Collins is a fantastic example of that. And even her predecessor, Siobhan, was the same. And actually, there are loads of CEOs on, on Twitter, Steve Ford. Mm. Like, it, you're right. It's you can engage them in conversation. Yeah. Maybe you wouldn't do that at a drinks after an award ceremony. Well, actually, Kenneth probably would. But um, <laughs> you might not approach them at the bar. But you can still follow them on Twitter. And then when they post something about that, when they put the picture up of their dog, then you can say... Nice dog. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then when you see them in like the kitchen at work, you can ask them how their dog is. And exactly. there's that kind of icebreaker, right? Exactly. <laughs> Your finger didn't hover over the button on that one, did it? <laughs> nice dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's my most liked tweet. <laughs> Three likes. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, I guess, Kirsty, so, I mean, you know, we're, we're all working in a, in a, in a buoyant and an exciting sector, which is, which is amazing. But we're also facing a lot of challenges, I guess, as a sector broadly. Is there any kind of trends that you've seen as a consultant who works with a few organisations that you think is the kind of start of a new wave in terms of how charities should be or could be communicating with its supporters? Is there anything that comes yeah, up? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a trend as such, but I think I'm beginning to see a lot more charities being more user-centric and realising that, you know, it's not all about them. It's actually about their users and what their users want to need. And they're starting to deliver services digitally to meet those needs. And mm-hmm. they're doing their research and they're really getting to know their audience. And even their content is reflecting that. In the past, it was, this is what we want you to know. Right. Now it's, this is what you want to know and here's the answer. So that's kind of analytics and, and looking and uh, tools yeah, to do that? Or just, just listening more? Also, focus groups, qualitative right. research as well. It's not, yeah, not just looking at analytics because that's only one side of the story, yeah. I guess. There's only so much you can gather from that. So it is about phoning up some of your donors, asking them questions, or if you have events, mm. asking them questions at events, you know, mm. asking them, I don't know, whatever it is. How did you find out about us? Or what, what was I the last... I my dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm seeing a lot more charities realize that it's about, and I mean, the, wor- the word user is so impersonal, but mm-hmm. how else do you describe people. them? Yeah, it's people. You know, what, what do your people want? Yeah. Um, and, and then, because that's who we're here to serve. We're here to serve people. We're not mm. here to serve ourselves. Mm. No, that's really good, actually. And, and, and that really, I think, resonates and probably charities can do that a bit more i mean i was an advocate of talking a couple of weeks ago was it on this on the podcast about speaking on the phone oh you're a big uh, fan i'm a big fan of that yeah. i'm a big fan of like talking on the phone <laughs> and maybe it kind of goes against talking on the phone to ask people about social media interactions but i think you get so much more from a conversation and actually you can ask them about oh do you follow us on twitter do you follow us on facebook it's how that, does that, that mix of different comms yeah, how, how, how does that work for you how, how do, like you know you. what what would your comment be if i was to ask you about that and i think dropping those kind of questions into conversations you would get some really insightful facts from yeah from and, and even just supporters. you know if you have the charity sector is notorious for working in silos yeah. and if you have a helpline for example in your charity Go and speak to the people on Helpline. What are the topics people are asking about the most? Because they're probably searching for that on social media. And are you ever answering that question? Maybe not. 
you know, that's a really easy kind of win. Mm. You know, what's the what's the top question? So Small Charities Coalition is a great example of this, right? So I was a trustee for five years. I had to step down last year in November because it was the end of my second term. But our helpline, the most asked question was always, how do I start a charity? Really? Now, that's not an easy answer. It's not a 10-minute answer. Mm. It's very, very detailed. It you know, depends on lots of different things. So what they did is they worked with Cast. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Cast? No. No? Okay, well, look them up. They're okay. amazing. They're also a charity themselves. Cast, how do you spell, how do you spell C-A-S-T. it? C-A-S-T. C-A-S-T. Yes. Okay. Um, and they work with Cast to develop an online tool mm-hmm. that people could self-serve on how to set up a charity. Uh, okay. So now all they That's need clever. to do is direct people to this yeah. where they can serve themselves and it frees up so much time on the helpline to answer other questions mm. that charities, existing charities have you Mm. know because these are people who want to start a charity they're not even a charity yet yet we're there to serve small charities who exist already Mm -hmm. so you know we were spending so much time answering questions of charities that actually didn't exist even yeah um and and not serving our members so this tool has given like freed up so much time for them to self-serve themselves and and let them get on with questions that small charities have. Mm. So I think maybe y- you might have answered my next question, actually. But if, if there was somebody just starting out in comms, maybe they've realised that events is not quite as glamorous as they had originally hoped, <laughs> and uh, they're starting out in comms, is there any advice that you would give that person, maybe, maybe at any point in their career, really? We, all, we can all take on advice at any point. Is it listening to other teams? Is it going and investigating what's happening elsewhere yeah, in the organisation? I, I don't want to lead you on that. But. Like, learn... And absorb as much as you can. And I think also invest in your own personal development. I've always done that. And I've been willing to pay for it if there wasn't budget. And I do appreciate maybe I'm in, in a position where I can pay for that. But there are lots of sector events that are not very expensive. So mm. IOF, for example, their regional groups have first Thursday every yeah, month. Yeah, you yeah. know, It's only £10 a if you are a member. If you're not, it's 15 I hear the event manager's forum is excellent content. <laughs> event manager's forum, oh God, you, you know, I've heard incredible, that too. Incredible, incredible <laughs> plugs. <laughs> yeah. No, but that was great, for, wasn't it? I mean, it was, it was great when I first started off going along there and seeing your face. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> go on. No, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, there are lots of things yeah. that you can go along to. Yeah. You can, or you can get a, or or get a mentor, or you know. Yeah. If mm. you don't belong, so Charity Comms, for example, has a mentorship program. Obviously, you have to be a member Small Charities Coalition also has one. You have to be a member, but it's free to be a member as long as you're a charity under a million in Mm. income a year. Mm. You can just reach out to someone. Like, is there someone in the sector you admire? You know, could you just approach them and ask them if they would mentor you? I mean, chances are they're probably going to say, unless they're already mentoring someone, chances are they're probably going to say yes. I mean, one is quite flattering to the ego, to be honest. Mm. And and it's a form of giving back, isn't it? So, you know, just don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. That's a really, yeah, that's a really good message. And I think we can probably start wrapping it up and... uh, Kirsty, thank you. You've been absolutely amazing, and your passion okay. for the sector really comes through. And your obviously all your, your experience is is fantastic. So thank you for coming on. But now, yes, what sir. we're going to do is we're going to go into our quick fire questions. But yep. unfortunately, like every week, Kirsty has seen them, so she's probably got some 
fully prepped. She's fully you should see the notes <laughs> she's got here. Very, very the fully well prepared. prepped. So we'll go first. <laughs> so if you could place an ad across Twitter, across the world for one day, and it appeared at the top of every person's feed in the entire world. How many is that? What, 45 million people, something like that? What would it say and why? Stop Brexit. Oh, we like that political. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Usually I shy away from politics, <laughs> but in this case... I didn't notice any of that on your Twitter feed, so... Nope. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I try not to venture into politics on Twitter, but that would be my tweet if I could... For if a it day, could, if it could go very soon. Yeah, <laughs> that would be that would be a good one. Nice, nice. Time is running out I like that. One. I like that. Question number two: What haircut should I? No. Um, <laughs> question number two: What Anyone. is the <laughs> what is the one piece of advice you have been given in your career that sticks with you? To be honest, this might sound awful. I don't actually remember being given any advice, but advice I've probably read or heard that's really stuck with me and that I've kind of taken it on as a bit of a motto is say yes, even if it's really scary. And I do that quite a lot. So even saying yes to this podcast, like I'm not really, you know, I might come across as quite confident, but I'm not really like, you know, I, I, you know, all of us suffer from like imposter syndrome. I'm like, am I going to say something stupid? Am I going to be caught out? But That's our job. That's <laughs> for us. <laughs> That's what we're here for. But I, I just, nothing is ever worth having if it's not a challenge. And I think feel the fear and do it anyway. That's what I try to live by. Oh, yes, that is a good one. That's the so best yes. one I've heard in a while. I yeah. like that. Yeah, I really like that. Do Just, just do shit and don't worry too much about it. And figure it out, yeah. basically. Don't be scared. That imposter yeah. syndrome, I think I've had a bit of that imposter syndrome. I think I was saying to you, to you recently, that imposter syndrome just kind of just bites you occasionally, doesn't it? And you're like, oh, can I do this? Am I, am I the right person for this to do? You know, and it's just, I'm sure it must happen to everybody. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure it does. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Absolutely. I'd love to find a person where that doesn't. Actually, I know one person. I bet you Donald Trump does not suffer from <laughs> imposter syndrome. Oh, look, another person. I kind of <laughs> hope he does. Yeah. Crying himself no, to sleep I every night in the White House. So. Yeah, surrounded by big right. yeah, it does, it, I think you're right. It surrounded does. by McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> McDonald's burgers. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it does happen to everyone. And maybe. I think it does. Uh, but I think some people are more okay with admitting that. Yeah. And actually, I think that's a good thing. And maybe admitting yeah. it gives you the freedom to then to, to embrace it and try stuff. Yeah, and, exactly. And because I guess, it, yeah, it. because if people think, you know what, they might fail, that's okay. Like, failure is fine yeah. as long mm. as you learn from it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with failure. And I guess in the charity sector, we see failure as really negative because there's often a cost associated to it. And... But actually, it's a good thing. As long as we're learning from our failure, then we should embrace that failure. Shout out to Pizza for Losers, yes, right? Yes, I was just there about to say. Go. Pizza good for Losers. Good link into the yep. Pizza yep. for Losers. You guys, have you guys got your tickets? Uh, I'm going to get one. I haven't uh, got one okay. yet. You, you, you bought one up, guys. They're, they're going fast. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not a good event. Like, oh, maybe I'll try Wrangle or Press Ticket. Great event, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, we'll just wrap it up. And so the last question is a podcast that focuses... Focuses? <laughs> That almost sounded really weird. It's a podcast that (laughs) focuses um, around people doing more good. What's your favourite story from a supporter, from a charity, from an individual that you've met on your journey who has done something good for others? Okay, so I'm going to give 
a shout out to three people. And actually, I wrote about them on my What Kissy Did Next blog post for International Women's Day a couple of years ago. So the first is Jane Jason, who is the founder of Dementia UK. Okay. So Jane's father had um, Alzheimer's and they had, they had a lot of money, but they could not find the help for him. And her and her mother were a carer for her father and she just didn't feel that it was right, that there wasn't any specialist help. So Dementia UK was set up to provide uh, specialist dementia nurses. And what she's done is amazing. And just seeing how the charity has grown since I started is phenomenal. Second person is Lucy Buck, founder and CEO of Child's Eye. So Lucy used to work in television and um, decided to start a charity in Uganda to help uh, basically stop orphans. So like make families, not orphans. And what she's done again, uh, and her partners in Uganda, I don't want to just give all the credit to a charity because I know she works in partnership with agencies over there. Mm. But they really, you know, not only are they making families, they're also really ending, like they're making systematic change in the country, which I think is admirable. Mm. And then the last person is Jude Habib, who you might know of Sound Delivery. Jude is, again, phenomenal. Uh, She is just someone who's so passionate about the sector and about people telling their story and having a voice and she set up being the story network which is all about training people to be confident to tell their own story because mm. it's often charities who tell people's story and it's it's not our story to tell yeah or you know you'll have um three middle-aged white men on the news talking about knife crime yeah. Well, what do they know about yeah. it? Actually, I want to hear from the person whose life has been impacted by that. Yeah. So she set up a network to provide them with training, to be able to have the confidence, to be able to know how to deal with the media. And those are kind of the three people that I wow. just think are phenomenal. Big three. I'm sure you I'm sure you probably could have gone on to, to give 10, but um, the top three is always the most important place to be, as we saw in your recent <laughs> article on podcasts in the sector. <laughs> Yeah, yes. no, that was thank great. Thank you very much, Kirsty. No, yeah, yeah, I think that I think I think we can probably wrap it up, Kirsty. Again, just thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. It's great to hear your experience, as I say, and you know, and please continue doing all the great work that you do. Uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you? I'm sure they're already following you on Twitter anyway, but. How can they get in touch? Well, I could always do with some more followers. Well, and please don't we unfollow. <laughs> <Can't> we <all? laughs> we'll, be, we'll be sitting down after this, don't worry, to get some tips on how we get <laughs> yeah. that one follower back. Uh, um, so on Twitter, I'm at London Kirsty. London Kirsty. Well, and again, you see, I joined at the time where... You could have London Kirsty. I didn't want to give my full name. I didn't want to have, like, you know, at Kirsty Marins. And I just thought, like, well, my name is Kirsty and I live in London. So that was the thinking oh, behind. Oh, no, that makes sense. At London, <laughs> Kirsty. So I can never move, basically. <laughs> I'm, like, stuck in London stuck forever. Here, yeah. <laughs> uh, Unless I move to London, Ontario, then that yeah. would be okay. Well, Limiting that, that. the number of places <laughs> you can <laughs> See, uh, you just made me reflect on there because I joined Twitter relatively early. What were you, Baby Cakes 86? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I could have chose something decent. I, oh, I'm quite embarrassed by this now because it's still live, this feed. Kenny Toon. <laughs> Kenny Toon. 
Tune in, people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you um, know that that Kenny Tune is going to have more followers than I know. Do more I, d- I, I actually don't even have it on my phone anymore, but it's probably got about four followers. But anyway, okay, let's wrap <laughs> it up there, Kirsty. Thank you so much, James. Great to see you. What you got on this week? Um, I'm uh, I'm going big. I'm going to spend all of my do more good redundancy payout. So that's three <laughs> pounds. New haircut. <laughs> three pounds sixty on my new haircut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. How about you? What are you um, I'm just trying to think then. What day are we on? Thursday? Yeah. Uh, okay, so Friday, working from home tomorrow. And then it's just ramping up to the biggest marathon in the world in yeah. two weeks' time, which I'm absolutely delighted and can't wait for. It's going to be yeah, great. always a great day. Yeah, yeah. All right, Good we'll stuff. catch up soon. Nice one, mate. All right, you take care. Thanks, Kirsty. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, James, just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? <laughs> anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing where can they find us well we're on twitter kenneth at do more good pod instagram at do more good pod have we gone multi-channel and even gone to youtube we have but you can find all those videos on the website do more good.uk and if you want to contact us by email please use contact at do more good.uk nice dog